All right, guys. I know you love talking with each other. Let's bring it back together. And um, as I get ready to speak here, I just, well, first off, I'm not the pastor here. If you're new and you don't like me, Dave's the pastor here. He's in Colorado with his wife, Allie, for a wedding this weekend. So come back next week, even if this doesn't work out for you. Um, but uh, I'm always glad to be here. I'm always really excited to, to be with you. I love this church. So let me pray before getting started. Lord Jesus, may you speak to us tonight. May you use my words, my reflections, to speak true words um, into our lives so that we can be light to the world um, and be doers of righteousness and justice. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, it's been a rough week this week. I don't know if you guys read the news, but if you do, um, even if you don't, you probably have heard some of the news, um, and probably the biggest is that Brad and Angelina finally <laughs> broke up. I couldn't believe it. It's like the end of an era. You know, they're so beautiful and, and successful and beautiful, and they have six kids, and they've been together like ever since Mr. and Mrs. Smith came out, which I never even saw, but they're just such a wonderful couple, and it's over. Couldn't believe it. It's probably the one thing that everybody knows happened this week, the end of Brangelina. Um, but I was also perusing some of the other headlines because I like to keep up to date. So some of the admittedly less important things that happened this week that I noticed were, was something about Wells Fargo, and I guess that what happened is uh, the executive leadership of this bank um, put such high sales expectations on their employees that their employees couldn't meet them and they started creating fake accounts for people. So they actually started taking you know, money out of people's accounts and opening up new accounts and moving the money over without telling them and then charging fees to the new account without telling anybody and they did it two million times in the last five years. So that just came out, um, but it's not that big of a deal. You guys don't have to worry because um, that same executive leadership is figuring it out and they're gonna retire soon anyway with a couple hundred million dollars in their pockets and they've fired five and a half thousand low-level employees. So that's not a big deal. So some other news I noticed. Um, I noticed that President Obama made an executive order to increase the number of refugees that the United States was gonna accept this year by 29%, which, a lot of people were upset about because that extra, it's, uh, we're going from accepting about 85,000 to 110,000 refugees in our country this year, apparently. Um, and that extra 25,000 is going to make a huge impact on the 300 million people that already live here. It's, it's an extra refugee for every 12,000 people. Um, but that actually wasn't that interesting to me. Small news. Um, there was also something about some routine police work in Tulsa and in Charlotte. Um, and I say routine, you know, I, I heard that a couple black men got shot and killed by the police this week. And um, 
and the police shoot and kill about 1,000 people a year in our country. And we're right on pace to hit that target this year. Um, it's not increasing, it's not decreasing, it's just holding steady. Um, and you would think that we would be used to it by now, but for some reason there were some riots in the streets. But anyway, I, was, anyway, I want to go back to um, the big news. I like my news like Brad and Angelina, because it's, not, it's moderately interesting and we can chit-chat about it at the parties over the weekend. Um, and I can't have news that's too, that, that demands too much of me because I'm busy, you know? Um, and we all are, and I know that you're busy too, because whenever I ask you how you're doing, you say, I'm fine, been busy. That's what we all say. And I've been busy, you know, we're working, we're going to school, we're writing papers, we're doing the dishes, maybe. Cooking dinner, working out, maybe. Um, so many things, we're keeping up with like 15 really important relationships at a time and going on a few vacations. And so there's really very little time left after all of that to pay attention to stuff that doesn't have a lot of relevance to our personal lives. That's how I feel anyway. Um, now, I've, I have been thinking, I was wondering, you know, should I be uncomfortable with the fact that I don't want to know about more serious things that are happening in the world? And I decided, probably not, you know, there are actually theologians who I think agree with me. Um, one of them is Martin Luther. He says, that the normal, just sort of run-of-the-mill, huge way of people behaving is that uh, they live, he calls it, he used Latin, but he said, we're in curvatus inse, we're curved in upon ourselves. And that's just the normal way that people are, and so you should expect that. Um, and if you fall in that category, that everything in your life is just sort of in cur curving in on itself towards you, um, that's normal. Wait, hold on. Uh, actually, I got that slightly wrong. Sorry. What he actually said, Martin Luther actually said, is that um, sin is in curvatus in se. That's what it was. Martin Luther said that sin can be defined in a person when they see everything in their lives curving in towards them, moving towards them, spiraling in towards them. And so, when we approach life this way, um, as we do, he says, he would say that we're like pre-programmed to be this way, to be self-interested, selfish, self-referential, and just sort of try and make everything about us. This is just normal, according to Martin Luther, but when we live that way, um, as we do, it's hard to get real worked up about things that don't have immediate relevance to us. And it's hard to... Um, feel passionate about things that don't matter directly to me, and it's hard. I'm certainly not going to become an advocate for things that don't matter directly to me. God talks a lot about justice in the Bible. He cares deeply about it. In fact, in Psalm 89 and 97, it says that Righteousness and justice are the foundation of God's throne. And 
this idea that righteousness and justice are somehow at the center of what the Bible teaches and what God is all about in this world is something that I certainly did not grow up aware of. That was not my picture of God. But I want to share with you some of the things that have moved me on that. And it all starts with Abraham. So we're going to go right back to the beginning of the Bible. And I never preach thematic sermons like I'm doing tonight, but um, we're going to be jumping around. We don't have a set text tonight. But if you remember in the book of Genesis, when Abraham comes and he, he gives his call to Abraham, it, uh, he says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And we could kind of summarize that. We could restate it as saying, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a distributor of my blessings to the world. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a distributor of my blessings to the world. That's going to be your vocation. That's your calling. That's your purpose in life. And not just for you, but for everyone who comes after you. And a few chapters later, in Genesis 18, God sort of elaborates on this idea, what it might look like if, um, if Abraham were going to be a distributor of God's blessings. And he says that, I called Abraham so that, let me turn to it actually, just so that I don't get it wrong. This is Genesis 18, 19. It says, For I have chosen Abraham so that, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing, and this is going to be the two key words for this evening, doing what is right and just. Righteousness and justice, together. They're a word pair in the Old Testament. You hear them going together all the time, righteousness and justice, righteousness and justice, and I'm going to do something that I rarely do when I preach, and we're actually going to talk about Hebrew language a little bit here. So I'm going to teach you the two words um, that are used here. And interestingly enough, they can, they, there's a lot of overlap in meaning here. Um, the word that's often translated righteousness can and is translated as justice in other places. Um, they both have justice implications. And the two words are tzedakah and mishfat. Tzedakah, mishfat. Righteousness and justice. Tzedakah, mishfat. Righteousness and justice. And, and I'm going to do a little, do a, walk you through a little bit about um, what these look like and how this plays out in the rest of the Bible. So we're going to start with mishfat, okay? The word that's often translated justice. And if you continue reading in the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, you can basically break up all of the laws that are given in the Torah into these two categories. They fall into either mishfat or tzedakah, either righteousness or justice. Mishfat is the kind of justice where you get what you deserve, okay? So this is like, I lend you $1,000, you write me an IOU that you are going to pay me back $1,000 on January 1st. And mishfat assures me that that will happen. Mishfat is the thing that... Um, makes it so that when I'm hungry, I don't just walk into the grocery store, eat what I feel like, and then walk out without paying anything. And mishfat is also um, what's going on when we have, you know, say someone pulls a gun on you and says, give me your purse, um, and we catch them, 
and, and punish them. You know, we say that's an aggravated assault or something, and you're going to go to prison for six months. You know, that mishpat is that. It's get people getting what they deserve. We might call it retributive justice. Retributive justice. And this is actually what most people think of when they think of justice. Like when justice is thrown around in most of the conversations you have, uh, people are talking about retributive justice, mishpat. And um, for good reason. We need this for society to work. Every, every, every society that's going to work needs some mishpat to keep things, you know, make sure people don't get taken advantage of. However, uh, God knows that mishpat is not enough to ensure justice, true justice. And so there are other laws in the Torah that fall into this second category, tzedakah, often translated righteousness. And the best example is what we would call, what's called the jubilee. And jubilee was something that happened every, what's supposed to happen, that's important. This was supposed to happen every 50 years in Israel. And ancient Israel was an agrarian society, so land was sort of the primo commodity. And if you had land, then you had the means to make a living. And so Jubilee said that every 50 years, the land was going to be redistributed among the people in an equitable way. Because, you know, over the course of a generation, some people do well, some people fall on hard times, they have to sell their land, and then they become poor. This happens. And what's interesting is that over time, stretched out, if all you have is mishfat, mishfat will ensure that the people who do well and get more and more and more will continue to get more and more and more, and it will never reach down to the poor. And so tzedakah, through the jubilee, is designed to make sure that there is equity because all people have dignity to God. Now what's interesting is that the jubilee, as far as we know, never happened in Israel. Which is, it shouldn't be surprising because you can imagine how chaotic it would be if the Jubilee actually happened. Um, you know, you've, your, your land that you've worked hard for, or, you know, your dad has worked hard for, gets redistributed, and you all sort of have a roughly equal portion all of a sudden, once again. You can't, man, I'm having trouble with my mic. It keeps falling down. Um, it would be super chaotic, right? It's hard to imagine. It's very impractical to redistribute wealth in that way. And, um, and plus, the people who, you know, get power in that first 50 years, they're going to hold on to that real tight, you know? And it's going to be hard um, to make the Jubilee happen. So it never happened. Mishvat and Siddhaka, righteousness and justice. I wonder, as we move forward in the Bible, um, how this is going to play out. When you get to Jesus, actually, no, you know, before we get to Jesus, I just want to ask this one question. Who is Tzedakah for? Is it for the powerful and the privileged? Or is it for the weak and the powerless? 
and the poor, and the disadvantaged and the oppressed. It should be obvious that tzedakah is for the poor and the oppressed. Righteousness and justice, they actually describe one another. We might call what happens when these two things come together righteous justice. God doesn't just want justice in the world. He wants righteous justice. It's his character is righteous and just. And as those, as human beings created in his image, we are supposed to reflect that into the world. These two things, righteousness and justice, they're all over the prophets. Again and again, as you get through the prophets in the Old Testament, uh, God is telling the people of Israel through the prophets that they have sinned by not doing mishpat and tzedakah together. They've maybe done one, they've maybe done mishpat, but they have not done tzedakah. The real crux of justice is doing tzedakah. And so we leap forward into the New Testament. And Jesus comes on the scene. And I wonder what he preaches. What's it going to sound like? Luke 4 has his first uh, sort of public speaking engagement. And Jesus goes to uh, the synagogue, like the church. He goes in and he takes the scroll of Isaiah. And this is what he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And incidentally, the year of the Lord's favor, that's, um, that's a translation, basically, of the year of Jubilee. Tzedakah. That's the message of Jesus. When he first comes on the scene, and he first starts preaching, and he says, what am I about? This is what I'm about. Tzedakah. Righteous justice. In the book of John, the very beginning, you'll remember that uh, it says of Jesus that he came embodying grace and truth. Grace and truth. And when I hear grace and truth, I'm thinking, actually, Righteousness and justice, because of this. Mishvat gives you what you deserve. Tzedakah gives you what you don't deserve. Truth makes sure that people get what they deserve. Grace makes sure people get what they don't deserve. And so there's this echo in the character of Jesus, of, the, of a person who fulfills the law of God. Mishvat and Tzedakah. My favorite, though, my favorite thing. When I just real saw that, I just kind of noticed this this week. What do you think Christians, the very first Christians, did when they uh, saw Jesus resurrected, received the Holy Spirit? What do you think the first thing the Book of Acts tells us they did is? Well, I I think I'll turn right there and I'll uh, read it right now from Acts chapter 2. I wasn't even planning to. This is what it says. All the believers were together 
and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. The first time Jubilee was ever practiced, the early church, after they witnessed the resurrection of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus transforms us and makes things that are impractical possible. It doesn't make them any less impractical, but it makes them possible, and it gives us the courage to do them. Now, there's a lot going on in our world right now, and my hope tonight is not that we would finish that conversation about what justice looks like in our world, but I do hope that we can start that conversation here in this community. Because there are, I mean, injustice is thriving, as always, because we have all the ingredients for injustice within ourselves already. We're selfish. We know how to make things uh, work for us. Um, and you give us a little bit of power, and all of a sudden you've got injustice. You take our natural inclinations, insert a little bit of power, and you have injustice. And then once you have a little bit of injustice, a little bit of privilege, you don't want to change because justice, righteous justice, is always going to be a loss for those who are ahead in the current system. You just think about it for a sec. Think of Jubilee. You've done really well. You've tripled your land. You've tripled your earning potential. And then the year of Jubilee comes, and the poor can't wait. And you are just sitting, you know, in the corner, moping because you're losing, you know, everything you worked for, it seemed like. Being an advocate for justice when the system's working for you is going to be, it's a threat. And so we resist it. And I just want to be honest here that, um, that the things that keep me from speaking out about injustice, from doing something about injustice, for seeking God's justice, is that um, it involves some kind of loss. It feels impractical. I just don't want to, so I don't. And that's the truth. But what I can't do as a follower of Jesus is pretend that I'm actually doing the right thing in that. I can't pretend, I can't somehow convince myself that I'm actually doing some kind of justice when I'm not. So I invite you to be honest with yourself about where you are in this. As I was saying, there, is, there are all kinds of injustices going on um, in our world. Our country right now is having a very difficult conversation about race, as you know. I can't even begin, it's hard to even begin that conversation. I'm, I'm afraid to start that conversation with my own family. Maybe you are too. But I know that God has, is passionate about the oppressed. And I know that that's not me. 
I've felt it before, but it's not me. There are other people who need my advocacy. There are, there are other things going on in our world. There are Syrian refugees. Um, there's a huge refugee crisis. There are 60 million refugees in the world, apparently. 11 million children refugees, child refugees. Um, in other countries, if we lived in Europe, this would be the primary issue of justice right now. But in our country, um, and you can disagree with me, this is totally fine. I hope that uh, being a, a community that's all about big conversations, that we can have this. Um, I think if we avoid the conversation on race, we are avoiding the center of the conversation about justice in our country. I think that's unavoidable. And one of the things that we often do, one of the things that we slide into is we get really passionate about smaller issues which allow us to ignore more central issues. We can't do that. Um, my, my wife was telling me the other day, you know, she was walking along downtown somewhere and someone up in their window had a thing about Black Lives Matter, but then there was also a march going by about Save the Elephants. And there's, you know, there's just some dissonance here. Not that, I mean, it's like, there are lots of things that are important. We do have to make some judgments about what really needs Jesus' message. And so I hope we can engage in conversations about Black Lives Matter because, for this reason, the issue is that um, some people believe very strongly that their lives are not being shown to matter equally. That's all we're saying. Um, and Christians' ears should perk up, and we should be able to engage. I know that some people are going to be offended that I brought that up in the sermon, um, even as minimally as that. There are other issues, too. There are issues of economic corruption and greed on Wall Street. There are so many things. There are issues going on in your workplaces of managers taking advantage of their underlings, um, maybe you. There are so many places where this comes to bear. And Jesus is calling us to be his light in the world. And I wonder, can we be the light of the gospel and not be doers of righteous justice. I'm going to close with this passage from Romans. I, I preach much shorter than Dave. <laughs> Hear this. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will.
Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we are really uncomfortable about a lot of these issues that are going on in our world. And we want to hear you. We want to hear what your message is. We want to be doing your will. We want to be doers of righteousness and justice. Give us courage to be doers of righteousness and justice. And give us discernment to know what that looks like. And also give us grace to explore what it means to follow you together. Amen.